The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Let's just pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good all of the time. Thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that you are kind. Thank you that you are all-powerful. Thank you that you are everywhere present. Thank you that you are our help and our strength. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over us and that you look after us. Thank you, Father, for your safekeeping during this past week. Thank you for your plans and purposes that are laid out before our lives. Lord, we don't understand all that you have in mind for us, but Lord, we thank you that you have a plan and that you are holding us and keeping us for that plan. Let our hearts be willing, Father, to surrender to your ways. Help us, Lord, to walk with you. Help us, Lord, to have fellowship with you. Lord, our declaration is that we need you. So come to this place. Come amongst your people. Come and strengthen our hearts. Come and guide us. Let that Holy Spirit come upon us, Lord, to awaken our hearts with truth and understanding. Lord, we give ourselves to you and we pray, have your way amongst us this morning. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I thought this morning, rather than, although I'm preaching on this series, Practical Christian Living, which is a very useful title, as I said before, because it can encompass so many things, it gives me the opportunity. I wanted to share with you this morning, just, uh, I was in prayer, uh, not this Friday, Friday, a week ago, and during that time, a, a scripture came to my mind, and it unraveled a whole series of thoughts, which I found quite um, enlightening, let's say, quite challenging. For myself, and I thought, well, look, I'll share it with everybody. So that's my aim. So it's not quite that I'm opening a particular passage to you this morning or speaking on a particular theme, but I just want to, you'll see as things unfold, I'll take you on the journey, and I trust that you'll keep along with me. Uh, so as it were, we're getting on the bus. I was then prayer, and this scripture came to mind. And it's, you know, like you have scriptures that you've learned perhaps years and years ago. And so it came to my mind, how can a young man keep his way pure? And obviously being a very young man, I instantly paid attention to that. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? That was the scripture. And I know it came from Psalm 119. So I went to my Bible just to... to uh, to look at it, basically, because it was just, what is God, what are you saying to me? So I turned up Psalm 119, verse 9, which you'll see on your screen, and I started reading from the NIV, okay? And this was just slightly different from what I had remembered as a child or what had been through my mind as a child. So that arrested me, rather. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, that scripture or those scriptures may be familiar to you. As I say, they were familiar to me. But it was just the way it was put. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? What the psalmist is talking about is how we can we keep ourselves right how can we live according to God's ways? How can we do what he's asking us to do? In effect, that's what the psalmist is asking. And the answer that he gets is this, by living according to your word. 
by living according to your word. Now, it's not just the scripture. The scriptures are the word of God, but it's what is God saying to you? What is God hinting at you? What is God reminding you of? How you need to live your life. Are you listening to what he was saying? So that was the challenge that came to my heart. And so it was just reflecting on that, as it were. I was just thinking like, yes, God, what are you, what are you saying? And, and I understand, Lord, that there is a way for us to walk in. That's what you're reminding me about. There is a way that the Christian should walk in. It's not just that you can do whatever you want. How do we keep our way in God's ways? How do we keep ourselves on the path of purity? And that is whether you are young or old. I mean, it's just a reflection, I think, the psalmist says about a young person. By guarding it according to your word. We need to listen. We need to understand what God is saying in his scriptures. We need to know what God is saying in our hearts. And we need to walk in his way. And you know what? The early Christians were known as people of what? They were known as people of the way. We read in Acts uh, of when Saul came to the scene, Paul, as, it were, as he later was, but when Saul came to the scene, Acts 9 verse 1 and 2, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Before Christians were known collectively as Christians, those who were following Christ, they were known as people of the way. Because there was a way of life that they were adhering to. There was a pattern of behavior that they were following. There was a pathway that they were walking in. And if you wanted to join with those people, then you needed to be followers of that way. That's what this was about. So rather than being known as Christians... These people who were following, they were following Jesus, they were known as people of the way. And this prompted me in my thinking to think, well, yes, of course. Because we know that we are people of a way. We're people who are called to walk in the way of God. And that way, I know that Jesus says, is a narrow way. So I reflected back on Matthew 7, 13 and 14, where it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road, that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And you know what, that, that scripture, which again may be familiar to you, you might have read that before, but the way that we're talking about for us to follow, Jesus describes as a narrow way. And that, in one sense, sounds hard, doesn't it? Oh my goodness, it's a narrow way. It's a hard way. And so therefore, you, you look at that and you think, well, does that, that means that the going is going to be tough. It's like when you climb up a mountain, you think like, okay, this is going to get harder. You're going to get out of breath. There's a sense in which the route is going to be harder. But I suppose in one sense, it's also helpful to know that it's a narrow way because that way helps you to know that things are not going to be necessarily easy and that there are going to be challenges along the way. And therefore, that's what we've got to hold on to. But that scripture also reminds us of the fact that actually there is another way. There is a narrow way, but there's also a broad way. The broad way is easy. The broad way doesn't have so many problems or challenges. The broad way is an easy way, but the end of it lies in destruction. 
So there's a major challenge to the broad way, but there's also a challenge, as it were, to the narrow way. Anyway, I was thinking about these things and just thinking through uh, what it was saying and all that sort of stuff, or what I felt God was speaking to me about. And I was suddenly struck, well, thinking about the narrow way, thinking about the broad way, thinking about the fact that that way is easy and how, yes, I, like many of you, like life to be as easy as possible. I just thought, well, this is the issue of my life, perhaps the issue of our lives, the problem of duplicity, the problem that there's a sense of us being double-minded. There's a sense of us wanting to have a foot in two camps. I see that in my own life. I want to live the way that Jesus wants us to live, but you know, like there are times when I just want to do what I want to do. And if I'm not in a Jesus environment, then maybe, okay, it doesn't really matter. He's not saying anything, so I can just get on and do what I want to do. There is a sense in which I want to have a foot in two camps, and that's not really what Scripture is indicating to us. It's indicating to us that there is a way that we need to walk it. So I can certainly see in my own life, I could say, yes to God, your word is good, I will obey it. But then I'll say to myself, well, that's not really convenient for me to do that right now. So I'll just put that to one side and I'll get on with what I'm doing myself instead. I'm thinking these thoughts through and then another scripture comes to mind. Matthew 6 verse 24. And incidentally, it's not that I sit there thinking, oh, Matthew 6, 24, and then what comes up. It's just that the words of that scripture come up and later on I can look them up, okay? So let's just get that in perspective. It's not that I've got a mind like a computer, because if you know me, you'll know that that's not true at all. But it's that, I, oh, I remember that. I can remember maybe a small portion of it, and I will go to my phone and look it up or something like that. That's what I mean. But obviously, for the sake of speaking, and for the fact that we want to get it on the screen, I can say Matthew 6.24. So let's get that in perspective, okay? Matthew 6.24, which I remind, this is the bit that came to me. No man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. That's what God is saying. In our thinking, certainly in my own lifestyle, I can see there is a duplicity. There is a desire to do, yes, God, I want to do what you want to do. Up the front here, of course I'm going to say to you, I want to do what God wants to do. But in the quietness of our own homes, when we feel like, oh, no, just get on with what we want to get on with. There is a duplicity amongst us. And yet God says, listen, it's not possible for somebody to serve two masters. You're either going to love the one and hate the other. You're going to be drawn to the other. You can't do it. You need to focus. Okay, God. I can see that there is a conflict in my life. I can see there's a conflict, really, not just in my life. But I was thinking, this isn't just me, and I'm not trying to excuse myself from that. This is us. This is the corporate environment of the church in this nation. And so it's difficult for us, isn't it, to find a way out because this is what is affecting the church. This is what is affecting our culture. As long as you conform to the Christian lifestyle as best as you can when you're meeting with Christian people, it means that perhaps oh, you can go and do what you want afterwards. That's the culture that we have got. That's a duplicitous culture. And I was thinking to myself, God, we need you because I don't know how to change from that. This is the way that we're living. This is where we are at. I don't know how to change it. And again, I was thinking, and, 
again, I just thought of a story. I didn't know the exact, well, I did know it was in 1 Kings. It suddenly reminded me, of this is like Elijah. Elijah went up Mount um, Carmel, thank you. He went up Mount Carmel, and there he was meeting with uh, the people, and he said to the people this, 1 Kings 18.24. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now, just before I read the last bit, that's, that's the situation the people were in. There was duplicity in Israel back in Elijah's day. They were trying to do a bit of everything. They were trying to have the best of both worlds. They wanted to serve Yahweh, they wanted to serve God, but they also, you know, the people around them were serving Baal. So let's fit into the culture that we're in. And so let's have a bit of Baal worship, let's have a bit of Yahweh worship. Yeah, no, let's just do it. We're going to carry on with life. That's what they were doing. Elijah gets up and says to them, right, okay, who are you going to serve? If God be God, then serve him. If Baal be God, then serve him. And there wasn't an answer from the people. That's the point. Because they didn't know how to answer. We're not quite sure. You see, we want Yahweh to be God, but you know, can we really trust him? And yet we see these people following Baal and they get some answers there. Is that really the way we should be going? What's the best way? Which is the true way? What's the right way for us to live? What's... That was the state of Israel in those days. And to a degree, that is the state of us. Because we want Jesus. We want to go Jesus' way. But you know what? Those people seem to be getting on in life a bit better and it's hard here. So let me just have a little bit of that as well. There is a duplicity amongst us. So I'm thinking about these things, and I'm reminded again of that scripture which we've looked at a number of times over the last couple of months. James 4, verse 17. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. We're supposed to be living by the Spirit. We're supposed to be living by the Spirit. So I turn up in Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 17. So I say... Paul says to the Galatians, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we walk by the Spirit, we're not going to gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So as I read this, that's the problem. The Spirit wants to take us God's way. The Spirit wants to lead us in that route. The Spirit is willing and active in our lives to take us God's way. But then there's the flesh, this part of self, this desire to fit in with the world, this desire just to have an easy life. That's in there as well. And these two are fighting within us. There's a battle going on within us. And that battle is designed so that we don't do what, just what we want. We need to surrender. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us to live our lives. Jesus taught, John 14, verse 26, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. 
So the Holy Spirit is there to teach us all things. But folks, it's not a done deal that that is going to happen in your life or my life unless I allow him to do that and I put him myself in the way of allowing the Holy Spirit to do that. Because the Holy Spirit can say many things to us and we might just say, it's not convenient right now. And so there's a dismissal of that. It's not an automatic. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's going to lead us in all truth. Therefore, whatever I do, he's going to, give me, he's going to lead me in all truth. That's not a done deal like that. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth if we are following the ways of the Holy Spirit. But if we're going into the ways of the flesh, hey, why should the Holy Spirit lead us? He can prompt us. He can shout at us. He can encourage us. But he won't force us. The Holy Spirit is like a dove that comes, but if he's not welcome, he'll fly away. It's almost like if you don't have the right atmosphere, the Holy Spirit, no, I don't think I want to be around here. It's not a done deal. They say you can take a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. And it's the same sort of principle here. Look, the Holy Spirit has a desire to lead us into all truth. But we need to have willing hearts and to be open to allow him to do that. Okay, I'm, I'm thinking, this is really, because I was writing some of these things down as I was praying. And I thought, well, Holy Spirit, what is it you're, you're doing for us? What, are, what, are you, what does Jesus teach us about the Holy Spirit? So I just turned to the, over a couple of chapters in John to John 16. John 16, verse 7 and 8, where Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then a few verses down, John 16, 12 to 13. I have much more to say, said Jesus to his disciples, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Jesus is telling us that when he comes, he is going to do certain things amongst us. He's going to reveal to us where we have gone wrong in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is going to help us and guide us into what is true. That's what he's going to do. But it says when he comes. And I know Jesus spoke this before the day of Pentecost. So there was a real sense in when he's talking to his disciples, and what you could read into this is the fact of, look, look he hasn't come yet. But when the Holy Spirit pitches up, as in on the day of Pentecost, he is going to do these things. And on the day of Pentecost, we do see the Holy Spirit doing those things. And now, as we are way past in terms of history, since the day of uh, Pentecost, we could just say, well, you're going to do the same things amongst us, and he will do the same things amongst us. But this is how I read it, and this is how it was speaking to my heart. It says, when he comes, and we all know from sitting in church services, there are times when we know, wow, the Holy Spirit was amongst us. There are times when we know the Holy Spirit came near, but he didn't quite break through. And there are other times when we say like, well, okay, it was nice being at church, but that was a hard time this morning. Because we're acknowledging as a people that we understand that there are times when he comes, when he reveals himself. We know that God is here all the time. God has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. 
Lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So that we know that God is everywhere present. He is here. When two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. God is here, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can feel him. Because God reveals himself to us. Our cry when we come together as a people is that we draw his presence and we create an atmosphere where he is able to reveal himself. We have come to church not to be a religious community, not to do the right thing. We have come to church to meet a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, that we may have real relationship with him, just as real as you have a relationship with another human being that you can see. But in this case, this is the unseen God. That is what we're here for. And you see, when he comes... Your heart is drawn towards his presence. When he brings that revelation, you are drawn towards his presence because he loves you and he wants to make himself known to you. That is the truth. When he comes. And I was thinking about these things and I was thinking like, well, it, it all comes back to the cross, doesn't it? Because that is the place where God dealt with that which was separating us from himself. So I was just thinking, Lord, what actually happened when we gave our lives to you? What actually happened? And I was just thinking, well, we know that the cross is a, a place of exchange. So what was exchanged at the cross? What happened at the cross? And at the cross, my sin was exchanged for his forgiveness. That's what took place for me at the cross. Where Jesus came to me and knowing that the things that I have done wrong, which are too many to write down on a bit of paper. You lose track of them over the years. But those things that I have done wrong, where I was in rebellion against God, at the cross, that was cancelled because of what Jesus had done. My debt was paid. That's what happened at the cross. But it wasn't just that that happened at the cross. His life and ways were exchanged for my life and ways. That is what happened at the cross. I was thinking about this. When it's only something... Now, a scripture didn't come to mind at this point, but just a revelation, as you like, a thought. But of course, because when I gave my life to Jesus, I said, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And I don't know whether many of you have heard that story, perhaps as a young Christian or you've been taught that, listen, becoming a Christian is this. You've been driving the car of your life up until now. You've been in the driving seat. But being a Christian is this. You get out of the driving seat and you let Jesus take over. And it's just like that. No flashes of light, nothing else. Just in my mind, I thought, this is the problem. This is the problem. It's about the lordship of Jesus over my life, over our lives. This is the problem. Because you see, at times, I am more than willing for Jesus to take the steering wheel. Lead me, Lord. I don't know where I'm going. Help me. I need you. And at other times, I think like, Jesus, do you know where you're going? Let's switch over. You never notice that. You never actively make those statements But suddenly you become aware of the fact that, actually, hang on a second, I'm driving here. Where's Jesus gone? He's not around. 
The issue for us is about lordship. At the cross, I wanted my sin forgiven. I felt guilt about what I'd done wrong. I wanted to be clean. I wanted to be right. I wanted to have a place in heaven. I wanted those things. So I went to Jesus and said, Jesus, here's my life. But I was told what the consequences were. You're giving your life to him that he might come and have your life. I'm not telling us anything that we haven't already heard here. We're all aware of this. The issue with our lives is, is he Lord? Because there's that statement that says, either he is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. So I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking, my, my. You have a way of putting it. I, I mean, incidentally, I, I, thank you, Lord, for that, you know. How do we change? How do we change? I haven't got the answer to say this is how you do it. The only thing I know is that there's only one person who can do that. And that's him. So what do we do? We have to surrender to him. Jesus, I don't know the route. He who knows the end from the beginning is the only one who knows the route of how to lead my life and your life. He knows the end of my life. He knows the number of days that have been ordained for me. He knows the pathway that I need to take. He knows the route. He's the only one who knows the route. Therefore, if my life is going to produce fruit for his kingdom, he's the only one who can be in the driving seat to take me there. But folks, I wish it was as easy as just saying, okay, that's it. Surrender of my will is not an easy thing. So do I have an answer? Yes, the answer is we surrender to Jesus. How do we do that? We have to ask him to come. We have to ask him to help us. Of course, other scriptures came to my mind at this point. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, where Paul reminds the Corinthians, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. If scripture repeats itself, repeats itself, the message is quite simple. It's saying, listen, uh, Jesus needs to be Lord. He needs to be Lord. I don't know what you're thinking. I know what I'm thinking, and that is like, it's hard to make Jesus Lord. It's hard to let him have that space. Do I really need to let him have all of that space? What am I going to do? How does this look like? I, Jesus, I'll, I'll do it if you speak. If you say something, then I'll respond to that. Listen. Every word Jesus speaks is truth. We just need to trust him that he is the only one who knows the route for us to take, and he's the only one who can come in and help us to go in that route. The starting place is back at the cross where it all happened, where we say, Jesus, I need you. I need you, Lord, more than words can say. I need you more than yesterday. I need you to help me to live life like you want me to live life. Not living life in duplicity, but living life purposefully. And of course, again, as I'm thinking about these things, words, other scriptures hit home, i.e., like Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Thanks, Jesus. Paul says to the Galatians, those who belong, in Galatians 5, 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice this past tense. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, time is passing on, not just this morning, but on this Friday morning when I was praying. And it just, I suppose I just thought, well, what is the cost of salvation? It's a question that came to my mind. What is the cost? And I think, okay, I know the cost is absolute surrender. And I don't know, truthfully, I don't know fully how we live that out, except that we have to call upon God and to ask him to do that work in our lives, every one of us, so that we might be his people, so that we might accomplish his purposes. But as I was thinking about this, I think I even looked it up, that question I think I put in Google or something, what is the cost of salvation? And I was reading... And uh, I was just taken over to Matthew, uh, no, not Matthew, to Luke 9, where it says this. this is, these are the terms that Jesus lays out for following him. So this is what he said. These are the terms for everyone. Because Luke 9 says this. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Three things he says there. Deny yourself. What does that mean? I mean, denying yourself doesn't, I I can tell you, it doesn't automatically mean you've got to change your eating habits. You suddenly go to say, I used to have cereal at breakfast. I'm no longer having cereal at breakfast. It's not that. And it's not adopting some sort of anti-pleasure worldview completely. But it does mean that you're surrendering you. You're surrendering your inner will. You're surrendering that part of you that often wants to do what it wants to do. You're taking hold of that and you're saying, Lord... I give that to you. That's what denying ourselves is. So I should have given you a a warning at the beginning of the service. It was a bit of a a hard hitter, but there you go. Look, we need to face the reality. If we don't know the reality, we're never going to be able to change. And therefore, what does it mean for us to deny ourselves? It means that we let go of self. I'm sure if I say that to myself, I can tell you what the answer is. I can hear it inside. I don't want to. I can say that because, okay, I'm at the front. But it saves you having to say it. We don't want to. And that's what we have. Jesus, there is a problem in me. There's a problem in me. And I don't know how to change it. But you are God. And you are the only one who can change it. I need you. Please come to me. Please come and make yourself known to me. It is about that, that steering wheel story. You know, it's about saying, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm letting go of the steering wheel. 
the driving of this car, that's my life, is you. Now, please help me. That's what denying ourselves is. Taking up our cross, we know that the cross, and certainly for the Christians that were being written to or were around when Jesus was speaking, the cross represented that place of torture. So it was that symbol of destruction of life because the Romans were using the cross as that. So Jesus' first hearers would have been quite shocked to have had that symbol of suffering, as it were, and oppression being put up before them. But by telling us to take up our cross, Jesus is asking us, are you willing to suffer for my sake? Are you willing to submit for my sake? Are you willing to submit not just to, you know, like something that's where you're being persecuted, but are you willing to submit to God's discipline? Are you willing to allow God to to have his way in your life? Are you willing to allow God to speak to you about the things that he doesn't want, the things he wants to change in you? Are you willing to take up your cross? Are you willing to accept suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ? That's what taking up your cross is. Obviously, for some, it does go further. Are you willing to deny yourself completely? Are you willing to give up your life for him? But we're not going to go to that extreme this morning. And then thirdly, he says to follow Jesus. Jesus invites us to follow him because he wants us to go in his way and he knows the way. And it seems great for us to say, yeah, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's great. But what if the way that he wants to go is the way that you don't necessarily want to go? I want you to stop partying. I don't know. I, I mean, I could list a whole list of things some of which seem right, some of which seem wrong. What is it in our lives? Because we say, yes, we want to follow you, but then this comes up and you say, like, yeah, but I, I can't give up that. I can't give up Coronation Street on a, whatever night it is. I don't know. <laughs> I can't give up that program. That's, you know, like, what are my friends going to think of me if I don't know what the characters are doing or something like that? It could be something as stupid as that. I, if you love Coronation Street, then forgive me for being semi-rude to that, um, but I'm just using it as an example. I don't know what the way is, but following Jesus, he's saying, like, listen, I want you to go my way. And we can easily say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. But then when he speaks, you say, yeah, but not that. <laughs> and when we see those things, that, that is the self that says, like, no, 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 I don't like the way you're driving. I don't like the following you. I don't want to go on this route. I want to go on that route. I want to get back to the Broadway where it's comfortable, where I can do what I want. That's not the way. Sometimes we're asked to go in a way that you know, our friends don't want to go. We're asked to go in a way that sometimes can seem dangerous. We can go in a way that is affecting our jobs even, our reputation certainly, following Jesus. 1 John 2 verses 5 and 6. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. How did Jesus live? I don't do anything of myself. I only do the things I see my father doing. Surrender. What did Jesus pray when he came to the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross? He was exhibiting some of the feelings that we have. Have I really got to go this way? Is there not another way that I can go? 
But nevertheless, not my way, but yours. Your will be done. That's what Jesus did. So you see there that sense of like, I want to take hold of the steering wheel. No, I can't do that. We become, we become a slave by willing surrender. God never forces us to do anything we don't want to do. Because he's given us free will. Free will is that gift that we've been given which allows us to do what we want. Okay? Okay, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. You can do that. God doesn't come in and say, no, I've told you, you must. But he wants us to be willing to give our lives to him. And that's the challenge that we really face. So we've been given free will. And God wants us to use that free will to make choices for him. Look, that's what was happening to me when I was, I was praying that morning. And so, yeah, it stunned me. It, you know, I can't say that even since then, what's well, just over a week ago, that everything has changed, because it hasn't. It's just that it's, I'm still thinking about these things. And I wanted to share it with you. But right now, I just want to come to a time of prayer where I'm just going to pray for myself. I want to pray for us. Because we can't change ourselves. There's no point in any one of us going home and saying, I must try harder. I must do better. Mm. Only he can change us. And we need to flow in with him. Only he can change us. And therefore we need to ask him, Lord, please speak loudly. Speak more loudly than you have been speaking. Speak more assuredly, but come into my life. Father, I come before you to say, Lord, I am sorry. I am sorry, Lord, for keep snatching the steering wheel, for keep holding on to my own will, for keep holding on to my own ways, for keep using excuses and rebellion, Father, for all sorts of reasoning, even good reasons as to why I don't want to do the things you're doing. I can even deny that you've spoken to me because you haven't, I didn't hear you. And use that as the excuse. Lord, I have no excuses. I don't want to live like that, but I don't know how to change. So, Father, I just come before you to say I'm sorry. We come before you to say we are sorry. We come to repent of our sin. We come to say to you, Lord, we have been duplicitous. We are duplicitous. We have sought to have two masters. We have wanted to have a foot in two camps. We don't actually know what it looks like just to, to be with you only. But we're asking you, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. Have mercy upon me. Come and speak into my life. Lord, I need you. I need your presence. I need your guidance. I don't know the way. Only you know the way. Only you can lead me. I know the things I need to do, but I know that I don't always want to do them. And therefore, I need your help. As we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, please hear our prayers. Please come amongst us. Father, we don't just ask for ourselves, we ask for our nation. We ask for the state of your church. We ask for the name of Christianity. We ask you, Lord, please have mercy. 
Have mercy upon us. We did not deliberately seek to be rebellious, but Father, we see that there is rebellion still within us because we don't, don't know how to surrender our will. We don't know how to surrender our inner part. So we're asking you, Father, have mercy. Lead us in your way. Do miraculous things amongst us. Lead us into all truth. Let your Holy Spirit come into our lives. Help us to create the atmosphere of seeking you, that you may do what you want in us and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.